Once again, would you welcome John Haynes as he comes to speak tonight. Thank you. Good to be here again this evening. Uh, let's review a little bit. What was Abram's problem? No son. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. What was the prerequisite for God's blessing? Belief. We're going to touch on these tonight. And the presence. How was that represented? I am the Lord who has been with you and will be with you. Tonight, we're going to jump all the way from Genesis to Hebrews. And um, this message tonight is, well, it's one I've, I felt so drawn to, particularly in these last six weeks when I wasn't well. God just kept bringing me back to this over and over and over again, and it was clear this is for someone here. Each of these messages is for someone here. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I hope you got your ears open and your heart open and your mind open. We're going to start by looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And if you could bring the text up, I apologize. It's my fault that things were running a little bit late. I had my PowerPoint already. I double-checked it before I left my room. I got here, and it was nowhere to be found. So we were recreating it up there. Let's just look at this. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, verse 6, then verses 8 through 12, and verse 17. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. For therein the elders or the men of old, witnessed something born to them. By faith, we understand that the worlds have been framed by the word of God, so that what is seen has not been made of things which, which are visible. Verse 6. Without faith, Verse 6. Go back one. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that seek after him. One. By faith, Abram, when he was called, obeyed to go out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he became a sojourner or a pilgrim in a land of promise, an alien, actually, in the, 
in the Greek, as in a land not his own, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him to the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore also there was born of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. By faith, Abram, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Those are powerful verses. And they all spring out of this early life of Abram after he had encountered God in that dark night of his soul, in that desert place under the stars we talked about this morning. I'd like to get right to it. This is an amazing story of a man who dared to walk with God in ways which we really think we cannot. But we can. It is clear that God would have us do more than simply read about this life. He would have us learn from this life so that we can live it too. Do you believe that? In this day and age? Well, we'll see. <laughs> he wants us to walk by faith, believing in one for without that belief, without that faith, it is not possible for us to please him. Abram is given to us in this passage as an example of a man on an adventure with God. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I love an adventure. I love road trips. I'm a person who actually enjoys the journey as much as the destination. He gets me in trouble sometimes because I might stretch the road trip out a day or two. I've been on a lot of adventures. Many of them have been frightening. Some of them have been life-threatening. But I wouldn't trade a single step of them for anything. Now, I came dressed a little differently tonight. I'm going to be casual for the rest of this week because we're on an adventure. And I'm sorry, I can't wear a coat for an adventure. I even got my walking shoes on. So come casual, come ready. I don't really know how to say this. Come ready to be changed every night. Even if it's just by little increments. Come ready to be changed. Now, to understand this text, we really have to go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4a, where God calls Abram and says, I want you to leave your father and your home and the country that you've lived in, everything that is familiar to you, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. 
And then it says, and Abram did just that. When he was called, he obeyed. Not knowing where, yet knowing. You see, his, his eyes are fixed on the one who knows the destination. Go forth to a land that I will show you. God is the one who knows where, and he will show, or maybe better translated from the Hebrew, he will point the way. Now this is an amazing picture in the Hebrew language because it is actually a picture of God pointing the way and Abram walking backwards into his future. To demonstrate this, I need someone as a volunteer. Anybody willing to come up here and volunteer? Come on, anyone. Quickly, quickly. Come along, come along. Don't waste time. Here one comes. Okay. You're going to be Abram. Um, you stand there. You look at me, and I'm God. That, that's obvious to everyone here, right? <laughs> okay, so this is the way this picture unfolds. God is pointing over Abram's shoulder, and Abram is keeping his eyes fixed on, on the eyes of God. He's keeping his, his face fixed on God's face as best he can discern it. And God is pointing, and Abram is walking backwards. Good, stop. Don't want you to trip over that. God protects Abram and Sarah in their backward walk into the future. Did you ever notice that in Scripture, the times when Abram and Sarah got themselves into a fix was when they turned around to see where they were going? When they wanted to figure it out for themselves, when they wanted to be the hero and heroine of the story. But that's not the way God operates. Come back and let's do that again. All right. You got the hang of it now, right? Okay. God is pointing, go to the place where I will show you. Now rest. It's an easy thing to do if you just keep your eyes fixed on God. It's a very difficult thing to do if you're constantly turning and twitching and wondering, worrying about where is he taking me? Don't worry about the where. You focus on God's eyes. Now that sounds like such a strange thing. Thank you. Didn't he do well? Did, he did so well. The future is reflected in God's eyes because the future is in God. I've said this many times, and people look at me like I'm some sort of a nut. But I'm going to say it to you and not worry about how nutty you think I am. Did you know that our destination is not heaven? Is that blasphemy? 
nor should we be so worried about going to hell. That may be even worse for you to handle. Our journey, according to the scriptures, according to God's own word, our journey is into God himself. He is our destination. When my mother died two years ago, one of the young people who attended her funeral came up to me and said, do you believe your mother's in heaven? And I said, here's what I believe based upon the scriptures. My mother lived her entire life seeking God, serving God, growing closer to God. The last words out of her mouth were the song, Jesus is all the world to me, and true to him I'll be. Oh, how could I, this friend, deny who's been so true to me? And she gave a little wave, and that was it. Yes, I believe my mother is in the heart of God. Her destination has been fulfilled in him. So wherever he is, whatever heaven looks like, and we don't know much about it, quite honestly, Wherever he is, that's where I want to show up. Can you shift a little bit your destination goals tonight and start walking into, journeying into the heart of God? It has kind of a negative and a positive side to it. The negative is that we're all afraid of the unknown. Any here, anybody here not afraid of the unknown? Even when you're on an adventure, you, your steps can be quite halting because you're not sure what's there. But the positive is you're thrilled with the adventure that you're on because you don't know how it's going to change you, to reshape you, to make you better than you've ever been before. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wake up tomorrow just as I woke up today. I want every day to get a little better and a little better, and I want to be a little better and a little better. Do you? I want to make a difference in the world, and I cannot make a difference in the world if I do not change to fit the moment that the world is in. God is trying to shape us in this way. You may be wondering where God is planning to take you, where he's planning to send you, don't worry about that. Just keep your eyes fixed on him. This Hebrew picture of seeing your future reflected in the eyes of God. I wish if I could, I'd put a mirror here on my forehead. That would have made it easier for you because you would have seen what I was looking at. Imagine that he knows where he's taking us and all he's asking us to do is keep trusting him that he's not going to get us in a mess. He's going to lead us through difficult places, even if we're walking backwards. I have a little plaque here that I brought. My grandparents were Quaker ministers all their lives. And this little plaque was painted for them by one of their classmates when they were graduating from college. It says, as thou goest step by step, the way shall open up before thee. 
good Quaker saying. <laughs> this plaque hung at the door of every home they ever lived in. And when they retired and I went into ministry, they gave this to me to take with me overseas. It's now hung at my door, everywhere I've lived since then. Interesting thing about this plaque, it's got some water stains on it. My grandparents were called to a little town way up in the tippy top of Michigan. There's a name for that area up there. What is it? Yeah, Upper Peninsula, Upper Michigan, whatever. They were called there, but they were warned that no one wants a friend's church in this community. So when you come, if you come, be prepared. We don't know what you're going to face. But they felt so convinced and convicted that this was where God was sending them, they went. My mother was an infant. A couple weeks after they arrived, someone in the community set fire to the church and to the parsonage. My mother was in the parsonage with my grandmother. My grandmother picked her up, carried her out of the house, and laid her on the ground, went back in to try to get some other things, but it was an old timber house. Everything just went up. My, my grandfather was in the church, and he was trying to pull things out of there. A man walked by and said, can I help? And my grandmother said to him, watch my child, and I'll bring things out. Now, I'm not sure why she didn't send him in, and I wonder whether he might have been the villain. <laughs> I shouldn't assume that, should I? Naughty me. But my grandmother managed to bring my mother out, bring this plaque out, bring one of my mother's baby shoes out, and bring a little tin box that had all of their savings in it. She put all of it there next to my, to my mother, just lying on the ground. And when it was all very obvious that they couldn't save the church or the parsonage. My grandmother and my grandfather stepped out by my mother who was left lying alone on the ground with her one baby shoe, this plaque, and an empty tin. My grandfather used to say to me, you may think that that was a, that was a clear indication we had not done what we were supposed to do. But he said, no, it was a clear indication that we were right where we belonged. Because in the months and the years that they served there, the church was rebuilt. The people of the community gathered round. They found a sweetness in those holiness people that did not make sense to them, given what had been done. And God grew the church. God grew my grandparents. God grew my mother in a deep faith that as thou goest step by step, the way shall open up before thee. They were keeping their eyes fixed on the one who's, who has our future right here. Secondly, Abram lived as an alien, a pilgrim, 
verse 9. We might better use the term of the context and say that Abram lived as a Bedouin in God's garden. Think about that for a little bit, if you will. The Bedou, I don't know whether any of you have ever had the opportunity or the privilege to spend time in a Bedouin community or a Bedouin tent. It's an amazing experience. They are such abundant, happy, hospitable folk. Here are some of the things that I love most about them. They're noted for their transient lives under the stars. And from their pilgrim lives, we can better understand the life of our spiritual ancestor, Abram. One, living in tents, they live temporary lives as pilgrims. Hmm. They do not know from one moment to the next when the desert is going to blow up and swallow them up. They know how to read the signs of the times and the weather on the horizon, but those tents, strong as they may be made, can be covered by the desert and all lost. They've learned how to live temporary lives as pilgrims. They're always looking for a better place of dwelling so they don't get too attached to anything. They don't get too attached to any place. They're spiritually ready to break camp and move on. Later in the Old Testament, we see God doing this with his children as he brings them out of Egypt. By day, what are they led by? A cloud. And at night, by a fire. A fire not unlike the flame that passed between the carcasses we talked about this morning. God is leading them, and here's the interesting thing. As the whole camp surrounds this highest place of their encampment where the tabernacle is erected, and the Ark of the Covenant is there, and the cloud or the, fi or the fire is over this high place, all of their tents are pointing toward this high place, and every morning they stand outside their tent at the door, and they, they say the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart. And you know it? Every night, if they're still in that same camp, <laughs> and even if they've moved on, every night when they look out their tent's door, they stand there and they look to the place to see if God's presence is still over the tabernacle, and they say, Shema again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know what I've learned from that, studying it years and years and years? What is being said in the Shema is this. Here, listen to this. The Lord our God is one. And you must serve an undivided God with an undivided heart. These pilgrims of the desert, they appreciate the simplest pleasures, like a cool breeze across their face. It doesn't come often, but when it comes out there, oh my goodness, it feels so good. 
They live lives of wonder as they look to the stars and count their blessings without encumbrances. When was the last time you counted your blessings without attaching them to things? When was the last time you counted your blessings without attaching them to fortune? Something good happening to you. Our giving flows out of the blessing God gives us, but those blessings are often, they have nothing to do with things or power or wealth. They have to do with the relationship we are building with the holy God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Those blessings are flowing out of God's heart and eyes and life and face toward us and we give him thanks and we don't worry about all this stuff that we accumulate. I know that ouches just a little. Because most of us have spent our lives trying to build up something we could call our own, right? So let me tell you, when all is said and done, we own nothing. Nothing. Everything we own, everything we possess, everything we desire, everything we long for, everything we've actually achieved, everything that counts is buried in the heart of God. And we're going there. We're headed there. These Bedouins are always looking for some awakening, some great revelation from their great shepherd who will lead them to the best refreshment and rest possible in their desert wanderings. Any of you ever feel like you're wandering in the desert? The last couple of years, this country has been in the desert. In fact, the world has been in a desert place. But God has refreshment and rest and peace. His shalom is a peace that is so stable, so serene, so amazing that whatever is happening on the surface when the waves are rolling and tossing and turning down deep on the ocean's floor is just still. That's God's shalom. God's shalom is the, is the capacity for us to live life in the middle of all of its troubles and keep our eyes fixed on him instead of turning to see where we can escape. We escape into God. These Bedouins travel light so as not to weary themselves with non-essentials. I think there's some good learning points here. Anybody feel like cleaning house? <laughs> I have to give you a little illustration from when I was a child. I was given a tent. It was an old green canvas tent. I loved my tent. The problem with my tent was that when it rained, if I was in my tent, the tent didn't quite keep the water out. But worse, it shed its dye 
on my head. I had been out in my tent one Sunday afternoon and we hurried off to church that evening and the people sitting behind us were just laughing and laughing and laughing and my head was like a big green halo. You know, it didn't matter to me. That tent represented my place. It was my own little space. And I lived most of the summer in that tent. And here's what I learned in my tent. From within, I had a very limited, focused perspective. And that filled me with wonder in the detail that I was observing. Now, you know how a tent is. It's like this. You don't see what's out here or what's out here. You see what's right here in front of you. Right? Am I making sense? So as a kid, I would lie there under my tent's roof, hoping it wouldn't rain, <laughs> with my head in my hands, and I would just watch what was going on just in front of me. And I had happened to pitch my tent right near a colony of ants. Or maybe they just decided to pay a visit. I don't know. But here's what I learned in those childlike, childish observations. Did you know that an ant can carry more weight than it weighs? Did you know that when an ant gets in trouble trying to carry more weight than it weighs, it calls its friends and they come and help him carry it? Did you know that when everything else fails, an ant drags what he's carrying backwards? And his friends are keeping an eye on where he's going. I learned a lot about ants that summer particularly the little red variety that liked chewing on me. I had an episode on the Red Sea that summer when my mother threw me in the bathtub and the water was covered with red ants. From within that focused, limited perspective, I learned that I am really no bigger and no better than those we creatures created by the same God. I need to honor his creation. I need to observe what his creation is trying to teach me. I don't need to be destroying things. I need to be restoring things. That's what we are about as the people of God. I also learned that if I kept my tent in one place too long, it killed the garden beneath it. And when I moved it, I saw the damage of my too long stay. I think one of the problems facing many of us is we get attached to things and places. And God is calling us and saying, I need you to go, I need you to I need you to go where I'm pointing you, and we're saying, no, just let me stay a little longer. But did you know that if we stay too long, we kill the ground beneath us? 
we do not bless it? That's a hard thing to learn. I've known ministers who stayed way too long. I've known board members who've stayed way too long. I've known people who enjoyed sitting on the church pews and griping far too long instead of just moving on. I've known that when you leave, go cautiously and go lightly. I don't know who that's for, but if you're a person who thinks you should just stay put in your spiritual life, you're actually destroying your spiritual life. Our spiritual lives are not meant to be stationary. They're meant to be on the move. We need to learn the lessons of the Bedouin, the lessons of the tent. Too many in ministry, in missions, they set up their tent and they stay forever. They want to stay forever. They set up a permanent dwelling in a Bedouin life. And the two don't go together. They don't realize the damage that they do. When God says go, we should say yes. Not where or when, just yes. Finally, when Abram was tested, he offered. It's important to understand in the Old Testament that father represents source and resource. And son represents hope and future. Abram had a big problem. He had no son. So source had no hope. Resource had no future. Abram was in a fix. And neither he nor his wife could figure out how God was going to bless them at their old age. Now, I didn't tell you this, but when God was pointing out the way ahead for Abram over his shoulder, Abram was already 75. So you've matured tonight. <laughs> it's hard the older we get to think about being impermanent. You remember the promise of God to Abram that night under the stars? So for him to offer Isaac, his only son, was to give back the very promise God had made to him can you imagine that? Abram gets up in the morning and says to Isaac, we're, we're going to go and make sacrifice on the mountain. And they gather sticks as they go because they're going to need that to burn the sacrifice. And Isaac keeps asking questions, but Father, where is the fuel? Where is, where is the sticks? Don't worry, we'll get them as we go. Where is the knife? Don't worry, I have it here with me. When they finally get to the mountain and build the altar and place the sticks upon it, and Isaac said, but Papa, where's the sacrifice? And Abram looks at this promise. He looks at his hope. He looks at his future, and he takes him in his arms 
Can you imagine, can you imagine encircling that hope and faith with a rope and putting him on the pyre? And then drawing the knife and thinking, why have I gone through all of this? This is God's promise. The first of my descendants, which are supposed to be more more than all the stars and all the sands of the sea. And here's the first one, and he wants me to give it back. I love my son. But he raises that knife at God's command. And then what happens? God stays his hand and says, look, there's the sacrifice caught in the thicket. I've always wondered what was in Isaac's mind. He had learned, I think, even as a child, to trust Papa. He had learned, if there's a future, and he thinks it's me, I've actually learned that the future is in him. I'm reminded of a night under the stars. Abram understood so well that nothing, absolutely nothing, was more important than God's presence. I am the God who has been with you and who will be with you and who will lead you, who will point the way over your shoulders. Just keep trusting me. To lose God's presence is to lose everything. You're right, Pastor. No one wants to walk this life without him. I don't. I couldn't. It was an August evening, and three friends and I were in the deserts of Sinai. Anybody ever been there? We, um, we climbed the mountain. Mount Sinai, in the afternoon, in the heat of the afternoon. Don't do that. <laughs> it's a four and a half hour trek up a steep mountain and up steep steps. Steeper than the ones leading up to your sound booth, and those are steep. There's no handrail. You are taking your life in your own hands, and you're sweating out all of your energy as you go. The heat was insufferable and we were all fading fast. Just as we finally got to the top of that mountain, and the sun began to set. And we looked out, and this gray-beige desert that we had been walking through all day, this mountain that just looked brown to us as we climbed it, when the sun began to set, the desert was flaming with color. Purples and orange and yellow and red and green. It wasn't from plant life. I don't know what it was. Maybe an infraction of light against some moisture that was there. I don't know, but it was brilliant and illuminating and fascinating. And we just sat there in awe. We sat there so long that we were 
missing the time it would take to get down the mountain before dark. So, these four idiots decide that we will spend the night on that mountain. Now, the stones were so hot when we arrived at the top that if you touched them, you could actually hear your skin sizzle. You didn't want to touch the stone, so we just stood there. We sat on our backpacks and hoped that whatever was inside wouldn't fry. But as night fell, that bitter heat, that extreme heat, suddenly became very cold. And those stones were like freezers. We didn't have anything but our clothes like this. And we were in shorts. One of my colleagues had a bright red sunburn through his socks. That's how intense the sun was. But we laid there on those rocks all night long. We didn't sleep much. Some of them did. I could hear them snoring. I'm not a good sleeper, so what is it to me? I had my eyes on the skies. And then we could hear noises, like songs. We were right on the edge of this mountain. I was actually wedged between two huge boulders, and I was so glad because had I fallen asleep and rolled to just one side, I would have ended up at the bottom quite quickly. But I looked over this edge, and there was this stream of torchlight and pilgrims singing as they were making their approaches to the first hill that leads up that mountain. And all through the night they sang and they gathered there and they, it was really amazing. But that night also something very unusual happened. It was a, a meteor shower. Now believe me, it was. I've seen meteor showers before, but I've never seen anything like that. I looked up into the sky and stars were falling all around us. One after the other. It was like they were chasing each other to earth. Past the earth. And I remembered this text, this passage of scripture. And I thought about that climb and I thought about the predicament we were in and I thought about how I wouldn't want to do this without knowing God was in my heart and I was in his. <laughs> and then I, I thought about this little verse. You really can't see that very well, can you? Oh, maybe you can. I can't see that very well, but you can see that. I remember this verse. Look up to the stars of the heavens and count them if you can. And so, since I had nothing better to do, I made a little square inch out of my fingers. It was really more like a hole. And I held it up to the sky, and I tried to count the stars within that little space, that limited perspective. You know, I couldn't do it. And this thought came to me. This is the same desert sky 
where God met Abram centuries ago and made this promise to him, count them if you can, your descendants are going to be as vast and as innumerable as that. And I thought about all the stars that must have fallen over all these centuries. Can you imagine? And yet, on this night, the heavens were full. That's what God wants to do in His church. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to give you descendants in the faith because you dare to believe. You dare to venture out with Him when He says, go. You don't worry about turning to see the where, or the why, or the when. You just say, yes. Can you say that? Here's what I know. God longs for us to just keep faith with Him as He keeps faith with us. Remember, He is the one who walked the blood path. The songs that we sang at the beginning of service were all about this, <laughs> that we're standing on holy ground. Why is it holy? Because God stepped in. God is here. When we are in the presence of an awesome God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who never fails and is never absent and never forgets anything, least of all the promises he's made to you, believe that tonight. We don't want to lose touch. We don't want to lose hold of God because to lose hold of God is to lose hold of all the promises of God. To keep hold of God is to keep hold of all the promises of God. Even the ones you don't think apply right now. I, for one, want to live my life this way. On an adventure. Tomorrow night and the nights that follow, we're going to be talking about some people and some different kinds of adventures where mission has transformed lives and those transformed lives have transformed lives. On Tuesday evening, Tuesday evening is going to be a night for family. I hope families will come. It may be a night that will change the way you look at your family. It may be a night that changes the way you see your family as the context in which God wants his promises to be fulfilled in your life. Through each of those rowdy kids. <laughs> and kids through mom and dad who are sometimes a little stricter than you'd like. God wants to do something in Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania. And it's tied to this. Being on an adventure. Identifying the problem. Believing in the presence. Having it count as, as, as righteousness because it is relational. Keeping the prerequisite that of belief 
Understanding that there are consequences for our actions and our inactions. Believing that there is a prominence that is waiting. And it has nothing to do with just filling this church. It has to do with changing the world around this church. It has to do with changing your neighbors. It has to do with changing yourselves. Or having, rightly said, God change all of those. And you are simply sweet participants on an adventure with him while he does it. That sounds good to me. Sounds like something I can get into. I hope you can. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, tonight I ask that if you are calling anyone here tonight, you're saying, I need you to go. I need you to do this. I need you to say this. I need you to be this. Would you help us to just be ready to say yes, Lord? For us to learn how to focus our attention on the holy face before us, to see our future reflected in your eyes and be willing to walk backwards into our future because you possess it, you hold it, you know it. Would you teach us the lessons that Abram learned? That when he was called, he simply obeyed. That he lived as a pilgrim He lived light and ready to move at your command. Help us to learn the lesson of the tent, to learn how to be observant of the things just out and to treasure them as if they were our own life. And that when he was tested, he offered up the promise, the promise that you made to him, he was willing to give it back to you And that was the changing moment for him. That was the beginning point of descendant after descendant after descendant until now the heavens cannot contain what you are creating. Through generations he knew nothing about. And we are his offspring. And we are your children. And tonight and throughout the rest of this week, Lord, I just pray that you would bring us here ready to hear your word, ready to hear the oddities, maybe, of your word, ready to open our hearts and our minds to things we may have never heard before or never heard in quite this way before. Would you change us day by day? We want to be revived. But that does not mean we want to be taken back to the good old days. We want to be revived and refreshed, resuscitated into new life so that the days that lie ahead will be better than any days prior. Because they're the days you're calling us into. Give us the faith, the belief, that will please you and honor you and bring these things about because we're willing to walk with you on adventure. Amen.